KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Monday, January 10th. Ambulances waiting longer to drop off patients. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The number of people in San Diego County hospitals has more than doubled in the last 30 days, now up to 943, according to the latest state figures out on Sunday. In the past month, confirmed COVID-19 cases jumped from about 4,700 per week to more than 45,000 cases reported in the seven days between December 29th of 2021 through January 4th of 2022. That's according to county data. That's nearly a tenfold increase in just 30 days. The search for San Diego Unified's next superintendent is now on pause. District officials announced on Friday that all activities related to the search are postponed for the month of January because of the current COVID-19 surge. Christopher Rice Wilson is chairman of the superintendent search committee. He says the delay will last at least until early February. We can still do the community input processes. We can still make a final decision. The district is in capable hands right now, and let's give the district a chance to work through this latest surge and and protect as many people as possible. The final jobs report of 2021 has more good news for the U.S. economy. Miro Kopik is founder of Bottom Line Marketing and the business commentator for KPBS. He says the report shows an impressive economic recovery. The economy has generated back almost 19 million jobs. And what was really heartening about the jobs report wasn't the official jobs report, but the uh, jobs report on the number of employees private sector companies have added, which was more than double those forecasts. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by Maracal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, Maracal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. As hospitals fill up in the county because of COVID-19, emergency room delays are causing a backup in the system. Ambulances are having to wait longer to drop off patients. KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado tells us paramedics and EMTs are also getting sick, putting more of a strain on the system. There's no room or it's pretty scarce in many emergency rooms across San Diego County. COVID infections are spreading faster than ever because of the more contagious Omicron variant. Jeff Bame is the managing director of Falk San Diego, the city's emergency services contractor. He says he's never seen COVID calls as high as now, and he went through the surge on the East Coast in 2020. This is a worse situation that we're seeing because of the call volume, uh, because since there's no lockdown, everybody's out and about doing their thing. Call volume has increased 30% since Christmas. As a result, ambulances are having to wait longer outside the hospitals to drop off patients because staff beds are scarce. Uh, We have been um, at hospitals for up to three hours waiting with patients. And so that just is is a reduction in the units that are out in the field trying to um, send an ambulance to people that need our help. Um, So that's that's definitely uh, hitting us hard. 
and people having to wait more than an hour and a half in emergency rooms has more than doubled. That forces paramedics to provide more than emergency transportation. We're just walking into a hospital trying to turn a patient over and we're, we're basically providing another service that we're not getting compensated for uh, to care for a patient while they're on the hospital property. They're struggling to keep up with demand. We need to triage and, and that's what happens under circumstances like this when you're dealing with a certain amount of units but a, a volume that's just higher than those units can respond to and we want to make sure we get to the life-threatening situations. EMS Deputy Chief Jody Pierce of San Diego Fire and Rescue says staffing shortages and bed availability are two factors that are affecting the entire system but the mutual aid system is filling the need. San Diego County agencies, whether public or private, have really come together to meet the needs of our communities um, through increased communication, resource sharing. Um, we are prepared to respond to any incident and provide the care. And that was reporting from KPBS's Kitty Alvarado. Last week, 86 San Diego City employees were sent advanced termination notices for not complying with the COVID-19 vaccine mandate. But that doesn't include employees who have filed requests to be exempt, either for medical or religious reasons. KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser has details on who's filing those requests. Nearly 1,100 City of San Diego employees have so far filed exemption requests, and more than half of them work for the San Diego Police Department. As of Wednesday, the city had received 525 requests from police. That's more than 20 percent of the entire department. Other city departments with high numbers of requests include fire, transportation, environmental services, and stormwater. The numbers are particularly concerning to public health experts because employees in those departments have the most frequent interactions with the public, especially the police. And people don't always have a choice about whether they come in close contact with police officers, says Rebecca Fielding Miller, an epidemiologist at UC San Diego. It's not like you can just walk away from a police officer if you don't feel safe. If it's mandatory that you have to spend time with somebody face to face, then that other person should have to be vaccinated because it's an airborne infectious disease. The police and fire unions did not return requests for comment. The city will review each exemption request on a case-by-case -case basis and may reach out to employees for additional information, says spokeswoman Nicole Darling. It involves human resources, reviewing the employee's written submissions, as well as communications with the employee, to really determine the employee's circumstances and then appropriate um, potential accommodations. Employees could either request medical or religious exemptions, but the bulk, almost 96 percent, filed religious requests. The medical exemptions require the employee to fill out a three-page questionnaire about their health condition and have a healthcare professional fill out a reasonable accommodation medical documentation form. The religious exemptions require the employee to identify their religion or belief system and then describe the specific tenet, belief, or practice that conflicts with the city's vaccination requirement. And if an employee has received other vaccinations, like tetanus shots, flu shots, or childhood vaccinations, the form asks them to explain how their religious beliefs prevent them from getting the COVID vaccine but not the others. 
No additional information is required, but the form says the city may follow up with the employee for, quote, additional supporting information and documentation. The city has yet to approve or deny any of the requests. And that was reporting from KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser. PG&E will likely be the first utility to access California's Wildfire Liability Fund. It's a multi-billion dollar fund set up by lawmakers to help cover the cost of wildfires caused by utilities. PG&E's equipment was found to have started the massive Dixie Fire. Cap Radio's Scott Rod reports. In 2019, California had a utility crisis. The state's biggest electricity providers were causing increasingly deadly and costly wildfires. PG&E had already declared bankruptcy as a result. It was one of Governor Gavin Newsom's first big tests in office. This is a serious moment. And as I said, I'll remind you, it's not just about turning on your lights. It's not just about paying your electric bills. It's literally about the economy of the state. The governor and lawmakers had only a few months to figure it out. So they put together a $21 billion fund that would help cover the cost of wildfires caused by utilities. The companies pay for half of it. Customer rate increases make up the rest. Michael Wara is a senior research scholar at Stanford University. He expects PG&E will be the first to tap into the pot of money. It's a good dry run, frankly, for the fund because there's a whole bunch of processes that need to be established and tested so that the fund is really ready. Utilities have to cover up to a billion dollars in damages before accessing the fund. PG&E expects claims from the Dixie Fire, the second largest blaze in state history, to only slightly exceed that $1 billion threshold. And that was reporting from Cap Radio's Scott Rod. The military has continued to be on the front lines of the pandemic, with military medical teams dispatched to hospitals that are overwhelmed by COVID-19. One of those teams is from San Diego. KPBS reporter Katie Alvarado tells us they were sent to a hospital on the brink of collapse. San Juan Regional Medical Center in Farmington, New Mexico, serves a vast area in the Four Corners. Dr. Brad Greenberg, medical director of emergency preparedness at the hospital, says they care for all people, no matter who they are or where they come from. We serve a a mixture of uh, urban, uh, rural and frontier areas uh, and also our referral center for many of the uh, facilities that exist on the Navajo Nation. COVID has not been kind to the region. They've had five COVID waves and the last 13 weeks have been especially tough. We were on the verge of a, of, of a true clinical catastrophe. Uh, we did not have enough personnel uh, to take care of the of the really incredibly high numbers of critically ill folks. The Navy came to their rescue. Two 23-member Navy medical response teams from San Diego's Navy Medical Center. Commander Dr. Nakunj Bhatt, the senior medical officer, says they're proud to carry out this mission. I can't imagine being anywhere else except being on the front lines of patient care. I was really, really shocked when I heard that they had so many people that were on the ventilators. Daniela Jenkins is an ICU nurse with a Navy team. Before the military, she worked at a civilian hospital. I know how hard it is to be short-staffed. And it has been really amazing to hear these nurses say, it hasn't been like this in like a month. Dr. Greenberg says the Navy's arrival did wonders for the hospital and morale. Boy, what a 
finally, a little bit of a tailwind, some inspiration and feeling like we're all in this together. He says they saved the hospital from collapse and many lives in the process. Any patient that makes it, it just, it almost like heals our soul. Not every story ends this way, but Lieutenant Commander Charles Volk, a pulmonary critical care doctor, says losing a patient doesn't mean failure. Part of our job is to be there if we can't cure someone and make sure that the end of their life is as good as possible. These heroes are human and these experiences leave their mark. There are times where it's hard. Um, there's times where I've cried. And experiencing loss during the holidays somehow feels different. Walking into a room and seeing a, a lifeless soul there, it's, it's hard. Especially on Christmas Day, that was... But those experiences have changed them for the better, too. Dr. Bott says they learned from those they cared for. We're very close to Navajo Nation, um, and hearing some of their stories and their practices and all those things have been very touching for us. Dr. Greenberg says they, too, will live on in the hearts of the staff and community. Our sincerest appreciation for your sacrifices and for your willingness to come out here and help make a difference. And news of their good work traveled to Mayor Todd Gloria in San Diego. And I thank them from the bottom of my heart. I thank them. They represent the best of this country, the best of our city. This means a lot to those who served on this mission for over a month through the holidays and New Year. Honestly, that's all that matters is thank you. It matters a lot. Those two words mean a lot to us. But as they were leaving, another COVID wave is hitting the rest of the country. That's not lost on Dr. Greenberg. We're sitting right at the edge of our seats waiting for the Omicron to uh, really make itself known within the state of New Mexico. As this virus continues to mutate, there are many unknowns. But having heroes like these on the front lines, a thousand of them who will soon be deployed, brings hope to those communities that are facing or are about to face the worst. And that was KPBS's Kitty Alvarado. Coming up, the controversial Remain in Mexico policy resumed last week, sending two asylum seekers to Tijuana while their cases are pending. We'll have more on that next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Last week marked the return of the controversial Remain in Mexico policy, with two asylum seekers in San Diego sent back to Tijuana to await the resolution of their cases. The program began during the Trump administration. The Biden administration tried to end it, but was forced by the courts to reinstate it. Remain in Mexico is hugely controversial with the immigrant rights community. They hoped the new president would handle asylum cases very differently. Kate Morrissey is a reporter with the San Diego Union-Tribune, who's been covering the story. She spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman on Friday. So Kate, bring us up to speed here. What led to the restarting of this program earlier this week? 
the program as a whole actually restarted in December, but it restarted here at the San Diego Tijuana border this week. And so this comes from a federal judge in a case brought by Texas and Missouri over the way that the Biden administration ended the program last year when they were initially trying to wind it down. And the judge decided that the program had been ended incorrectly and ordered that it be reinstated. As part of that, the Biden administration has actually, in some ways, expanded the program, particularly when you look at which nationalities they have said are eligible to be returned. That has grown to actually be the entire Western hemisphere, which was not the case when this program existed under the Trump administration. And so we have heard a lot of criticism from folks saying that the Biden administration is sort of using the judge's order as an excuse to bring back the program because it's reverting to this mindset of deterrence that is sort of a longstanding way that the United States has addressed people coming to its border, including asylum seekers. And let's go into that a little deeper. Talk more about what's been the reaction to the return of this policy. Well, locally, a lot of the organizations that are generally involved in supporting asylum seekers in the San Diego Tijuana region, um, all of these legal services organizations are refusing to cooperate with the program. The Biden administration in Texas found a group of attorneys willing to sort of be a, a hotline for some of the people being returned there, but they have not found someone to do that work, as far as I can tell, in the San Diego region. And we're hearing, you know, just everyone is so frustrated that this program is coming back. This was a key campaign point for the president that he was going to get rid of this program. And I've heard a lot of people arguing that there were other ways that the administration could have responded to the judge's order. There are still court cases out there trying to get this program ruled as illegal anyway. And, and the Biden administration is still pursuing the previous administration's defenses of the program in, in those court cases. What do we know about the asylum seekers who were sent back? So far, there have been, across the border, more than 200 people who have been returned. The first day in San Diego, Wednesday, there were two people. It was two men from Colombia. I believe there were seven more the next day, and and we have yet to see um, how many are coming back today, Friday. So it's sort of slowly increasing in, in the numbers that are being returned. What we do know about the larger number of returns at the Texas border is that these are largely nationalities who were previously being allowed into the United States to pursue their asylum claims. And that's significant because there is a second border policy from the Trump administration that has carried over and been continued and defended by the Biden administration. And that is the Title 42 policy, uh, which started under the pandemic and gives officials this ability to expel people without allowing them to access the asylum system. And what we've seen lately is that policy being applied to certain nationalities, but not as much to others. So we see that happening to people from Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador. And what we've heard from officials and what we've seen on the ground is that people of those nationalities are still being selected for Title 42 rather than remain in Mexico. So remain in Mexico is more happening to people from Nicaragua, for example, where you have a president who's basically made himself into a dictator. And so 
anybody who is politically dissenting there is not safe. And so we do see a lot of people fleeing here from Nicaragua asking for protection. And in Texas, that's been the largest group returned. Some of the criticism is also that this policy has the stench of racism on it. Can you talk a bit about that? I think that goes back to this idea of deterrence that the United States has had for decades in its approach to border management, which is based in this belief that people arriving at the border is a bad thing. And a lot of that is based in some of the racism and xenophobia that dates back decades and centuries in our country. And so when you're looking at how these policies are framed and how they're thought of, they're a continuation of that legacy in a lot of ways. We haven't seen anyone in these positions of power in our country really try to fundamentally change that. We had some promises from the Biden administration that they would look to creating a more humane asylum system, but we haven't seen that mindset really change from what has been around for decades and decades. That was Kate Morrissey, reporter for the San Diego Union-Tribune. She was speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.